Merry Christmas, everybody. How are you? <laughs> are you guys a little shy this morning? I know, I know. I'm in a jacket, and I got a white shirt on, and I almost wore a tie, and I thought, nah, that'll really, really freak you guys out. Listen, I, I, am, I am so excited to be with you this particular day because of where we are in Scripture. What is so absolutely amazing to me is how when you study the Bible line upon line, word after word, how God brings you at a certain place at a certain time that is absolutely perfect for the season. Would you turn with me please to Romans chapter 5. I couldn't have contrived this if I tried to make us to um, get at this place in Scripture at this particular time. You see, because everyone is speaking about peace on earth, goodwill towards men, joy, hope. Well, if you look at, at Romans chapter 5, and look at verses 1 and 2 with me, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, here it is, we have, as we studied last week, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith. And by the way, the, the New King James uses the word access. It's a much, much deeper and much better word instead of introduction. We have obtained our access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt. The word exalt means to rejoice or to find your joy. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. Everything that, that is about this time of year, everything that is about the very season of Christmas is, is in these two verses. They're dynamic verses, and they're wonderful because Paul has brought us to a place that we were at the depth of, of our, our very existence. We had, Paul did this on purpose, we have no hope. He allowed us to see that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from our faith in the Lord, we have no hope. And so he brought us to the very depths of, of, our, of our beings, and now he has exalted us to the very heights of who we are in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing place in Scripture. May I say to you before we begin and we start in prayer, there are going to be two services tomorrow in the afternoon here. Three o'clock and five o'clock. Both of them are candlelit services. Both of them will just be a time to rejoice and to kind of prepare our hearts on Christmas Eve before Christmas. And so we will have two services here tomorrow in the afternoon, three o'clock and five o'clock, candlelit services, and you're going to just uh, love the music, and you're going to, and it'll be a different message, and we'll have a great, great time. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you with well, many emotions, uh, I'm, I'm certain. There are um, still the heartache, Father, of those back east and living across these United States of ours who've experienced the most terrible of, um, of moments within their lives. And that, that is that their young children, their, their sons, their, their daughters, brothers and sisters, Nieces, nephews, grandparents, grandchildren, Father, have lost their lives. And to go through this time of year with that in mind, I, 
it's beyond my comprehension. I wouldn't really understand exactly how to, t to express my sorrow to the people that have to go through this. And yet, Father, for those of us who know you, we know how great and gracious you are. And, and yet to try to explain that, I believe, to someone who is not a believer right now and to, to say uh, the wonders of this God in whom we've fallen in love with, the one that we celebrate on Christmas, it would be hard to try to define it all. So I pray your blessings upon those that are there sharing with the people that are searching, now hoping for something to give them a peace. And pray, Father, for them. Pray for those of us here. Some of us here are going through deep waters as well. I pray that you will watch over all of us. And for those of us who are just excited, everything seems to be fine at this moment, Lord, thank you for that. May we honor you by the way we celebrate this Christmas. We, we, may we honor you by the way we celebrate our lives. I want to thank you so much for this, this school, allowing us to be here. I want to thank you for everyone that comes. Father, what a, what a blessing. And now, Father, would you prepare our hearts to hear from your heart? Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And would you move me aside, Father, so that I would not hinder what what you want to say to every single one of us here. Bless us, please, dear Father. Bless us deeply, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Some 2,000 years ago, plus, a child was born. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem of Judea. And his birth ended up impacting the whole world. A young teenage girl by the name of Mary was his mother. She was married to a young man by the name of Joseph. But she became pregnant. She became pregnant with a child, the Bible tells us, by the Holy Spirit. I want you to, to read this story with me so that we can reflect back to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when we think about this baby that was born in a manger. Look with me at Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, would you please? Let's read the account of the birth of Jesus Christ to see what the Bible says about this moment. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, in other words, before they had relations with one another, before they slept together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, Mary, he planned to send her away secretly. He knew that that baby wasn't his. So he wanted to absolve the marriage. He, he didn't want to disgrace her, but he wanted to put her away secretly so that she could go and have the baby on her own and with whomever she had the baby with. Verse 20. But when Joseph had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think for a moment about this, this, this time. 
Mary's a teenage girl. Joseph is probably in his early 20s. Now, we read something like this, but let's, let's read it. Let's think about it. I love you two so much. I'm going to miss you so much. <laughs> miss you so much. That's all right. We'll see you. It's Kyle and Nicole. And he'll be leaving pretty soon. They're going to be going up to Oregon. Think with me for a moment. Think back when you were, some of you here are young enough. Think of back when you were younger, say in your early 20s. Something happens in your life that's, that's monumental. The girl you're going to marry, she's pregnant. What are you going to do? Well, you go to sleep that night, and in a dream, an angel or the Lord comes to you and says, Don't worry. That baby was born of the Holy Spirit. You take her as your wife. What would you think? I would probably think, I knew I shouldn't have had pizza. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have eaten so much hot sauce. Can you believe the dream I just had? Would you and I have the faith to listen to that dream? To listen to that voice, that still, quiet voice within your heart of hearts and know that the Lord was speaking to you? How many of us would have been able to do as Joseph did? Verse 21 not only did this angel of the Lord appear to Joseph and tell him that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he's going to tell him what to name him. He says, she's going to bear a son, verse 21. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That bears repeating. This baby that was born in a manger was to be called Jesus, and he is the one who will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, she shall bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means God with us. That bears repeating. This baby that was born in a manger... This one that they called Jesus, who would save his people from their sins, is to be called Emmanuel, God, with us. Well, Joseph awoke in verse 24. He awoke from his sleep and he did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until, it's a key word too, Kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. With those two verses, 24 and 25, we see the obedience and the unwavering faith of Joseph. I admire that young man more than I can put into words. Because I think through some of the things I did when I was in my early 20s and and how unfaithful I would have been maybe at this moment. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the baby that was born in a manger 
He was born of, of the Lord God by the Holy Spirit. His name was to be called Jesus because it was he who was going to save his people from their sins. And he was also known as Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Very important. Let's turn back now to Romans chapter 5. It brings us back to some extremely important words in verses 1 and 2, especially at this particular time of the year, Christmas. Because this baby that we just read about in Matthew, whom we celebrate every Christmas, who was born of God in a manger in Bethlehem, he is the one who came to give us the forgiveness of our sin. And as verse 1 told us, as we studied last week, we were to have faith in him. We have, through faith in him, peace with God. The verb translated in verse 1, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last week or not. We have, it comes in the present tense. It indicates that this is something that is already possessed. You have it right now. If you've come to have faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you right now have peace with God. It isn't a feeling. It isn't something that you have to feel. It is, by the Word of God, a fact that you have peace with God. A believer's peace with God is established within us the moment we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the baby that was born in the manger. The one who is called Emmanuel, God with us. Once you come to understand that wonderful truth, once you come to grasp what all that means, just, just the whole account of the baby born in the manger, just of what it says here in verse 1, that we have right now, we possess peace with God. Once you know that nothing can separate you from this wonderful peace and this heavenly Father, you can then confidently say, as Paul did, in fact, I want you to look with me. We're going to jump around at a few places in Scripture tonight, today. Would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 8? We're in the book of Romans. Just hold your place here and let's go to the 8th chapter. There are some magnificent words that Paul writes in the 8th chapter of Romans. Uh, we will study it thoroughly when we get there. But I want us to read now in verse 31. Just jump right in the middle. Verse 31 of chapter 8. What then, Paul writes... Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who is against us? That's a great statement in and of itself. If God's on your side, then who can be against you? He says, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Listen to that stuff. This is magnificent. Verse 35, Paul begins, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, 
apparel, sword. Jump with me to verse 37. For in all of these things, Paul writes, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now I want you to think about this. What he just said is that you and I overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. Now I want you to know Paul wrote these words, but he wrote these words under the inspiration of God, God Almighty. God gave him what to write. God said, I overwhelmingly allow you to conquer because of my love for you. Overwhelmingly. Listen, Paul writes, verse 38, I am convinced under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I am convinced of this. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Okay, we should be yelling right now. We should be excited about this. This is, if ever there was a Merry Christmas that should come through the very heart of God to each and every single one of us, it is at the reading of those words. We've overwhelmingly conquered. Paul is convinced that nothing, absolutely nothing, he goes through the whole gamut, nothing is going to be able to separate you and me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a great place in, verse, in Scripture. Once we understand that we have peace with God, back to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, once we have this peace, we overwhelmingly conquer. Paul says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's convinced of these things. And as we learned last week, this peace is a peace that comes to each individual purely on the basis of their faith in this baby that was born in the manger. Jesus, proclaimed by the angel to be God with us, named Emmanuel and Jesus, who came to save his people from our sins. So we see that we may immediately have this Christmas and throughout the years ahead, peace. Verse 1 tells us, Therefore, having been justified, just as if we've never sinned, by faith, you and I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's just the half of it. Not even the half of it. There's so much more. Found in verse 2. In verse 2 it says, Through whom we have also obtained our introduction, but the New King James says, Our access by faith into this grace, God's unmerited favor, in which we stand. It means, the word stand there means to, to be firm, to have our place held. We stand our ground. We stand and we exalt, or we find our joy in the hope of the glory of God. Let's take a look at the word access first. It's a big deal. To fully understand what access means, you need to understand, we need to understand what took place in the book of Genesis. When, when, when Adam and Eve first sinned against God in the garden, and what was the ramifications of that disobedience, that sin against God. You see, 
turn, hold your place here. Turn back to the very first in the bu- book in the Bible. Look at, at, uh, at Genesis chapter 3. First book, Genesis chapter 3. As you well know, in the book of Genesis, God gave Adam full reign in the garden. He says, I want you to cultivate this place. I want you to make it your own. And you can eat from any of the trees in this garden you want to, except the one that's in the middle of the garden. Don't eat of that tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall what? Surely die. Spiritually. As we learned, that's not a physical death that God was talking about. It was a spiritual death. And so, as we learned in the process of that, Eve was tempted by Satan, and she ended up eating a piece of this fruit. By the way, it's a piece of fruit. It's not not an apple. Not necessarily an apple. Could be an apple. But it's a fruit. I hear a lot of people say, eat of the apple. And, and uh, that, it never says in the Bible what, what it was. It could be grapes. It could be a banana. It could be an apple. But it was this fruit. And when she took a bite of this fruit, they and her husband, uh, uh, Adam, they sinned against God. And what did he do? Well, he called them on it. And then it said, in verse 21 of chapter 3, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. This means that God had to take an animal and had to sacrifice an animal. What God did was shed the blood of an animal, took the skin of that animal, and covered Adam and Eve. Covered them with garments to wear. But the, the key of that is that God took an animal and allowed the blood to be shed for the forgiveness of their sin. Then what did God do? Then the Lord God said in verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us. By the way, who's he speaking with? Well, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Behold, he's going to become like one of us. He's going to know good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat, and then he'll live forever. In the book of Revelation that we just studied, there is in the holy city, in the most heavenly city that the Lord God is preparing for us right now, there is the tree of life that we will be able to eat from. I don't have a clue what that's going to be like, but I can't wait to taste it. Can't wait. So therefore, it says in verse 23, the Lord God sent him, Adam, out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man and his wife, Eve, out. He drove them out at the east of the Garden of Eden and stationed the cherubim, one of the angels, and a flaming sword, which turned in every direction, to guard the way to the tree of life. What the Lord God did to Adam and Eve was to cast them out of the garden. And he broke, their, their, the fellowship with, them was, with him was broken. Because of sin, because of their disobedience, God drove Adam and Eve out from the Garden of Eden and they no longer had immediate access to his presence They once experienced the privilege of, the Bible says, walking in the cool of the day, walking side by side with God Almighty upon this earth. That was no longer possible for them to do. And then, sometime later after this, God made a covenant with Abraham. And he also, God, renewed it with Moses at Mount Sinai, 
promising that in the midst of the people, in the midst of his people, he would be there in the tabernacle, the temple. But even then, God in his covenant with Adam and with Moses said that only the high priest could enter into his presence, the tabernacle, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement. The people could draw near to the tabernacle, but nobody except the high priest was allowed direct access into the presence of God. Only the high priest. And within the tabernacle, there was a massive curtain, a veil, if you would, as a reminder that God was inaccessible to the common people. Only one day a year, only the high priest could come into his presence. What took place? Look with me at Matthew chapter 27, please. Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, it is an account of Jesus Christ upon the cross at Calvary. Let's start at verse 45 of chapter 27 of Matthew. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. Jesus Christ is now upon the cross. So the sixth hour was about noon. The ninth hour was about 3 p.m. So between noon and 3 p.m., there became a darkness that fell upon the land. And in about the ninth hour, verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that point in time, people, that... Theologians agree that that is when all the sin of this earth fell upon our Lord and Savior. Your sin, my sin, all the sin fell upon Him. At that moment in time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there in verse 47, when they heard Him say this, began saying, He's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, taking a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And at that moment, verse 51, Jesus Christ cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died. Verse 51 is what I wanted us to see. At that time, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep, in other words, who had died, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered into the holy city and appeared to many. People were seeing some of their loved ones alive again, resurrected. The centurion in verse 54 and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Access. 
at that moment in the death of Jesus Christ, we are told that the, the curtain was torn from top as if by, uh, by some hands was torn from top to bottom. Torn in two. It indicated that the barrier between God and man was now removed. The sin of man was now atoned for, paid for in full. And those who by faith were justified, just as if they had never sinned in and through Jesus Christ, were now able to come into the very presence of God. The veil, the curtain, the wall of separation was torn in two. It was no longer a place that we couldn't have access. We now have access by faith and by grace into the presence of God. You see, Paul was emphasizing the fact that for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, is now, we are now able to come into His presence. And it wasn't a matter of merit. It wasn't by anything that we have done. Rather, it was by God's grace he made it now possible for you and me to have access with God. God made it happen. When we believe in Jesus Christ, His righteousness is imputed, given to you and me. We have immediately given access to God. We have immediately been given access or peace with God. And it is by grace God's unmerited favor that you and I are able to stand means to have a firm footing, stand in the presence of God. Knowing that you and I can go to Him in prayer now at any time, any place, anywhere. And that our prayers are heard by Him and He will answer our prayers according to His will. That's, that's another lesson that we must learn. That we don't always get exactly what we ask for, but we get exactly what we need and what God wants us to have. Access to God. The first two blessings of our faith, the two blessings of Christmas time, gives each of us who believe in Jesus Christ justification, just as if we've not sinned, by our faith, which gives us individual peace with God and immediate access into his presence but that's not all we also it says in verse 2 rejoice or exult have joy in the hope of the glory of God in other words we've been given a, a double blessing joy and hope I want you to note something the biblical concept of hope is not to be confused with the secular notion of hope the secular notion of hope is, is a desire, a wish. Ooh, I hope, I hope, I hope it's going to happen. That is at best uncertain. No, the hope of God is certainty. You can know it's going to happen for sure, for certain He will make it happen. And why? Because it is certified by and through the promises of God. What we know is that God cannot lie. Therefore, we can rest assured that His promises become the very anchor of our souls. I want you to see this firsthand. Look with me at Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is, um, is to the right of Romans. If you go to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, you'll go back to the left and you'll pass 
first, second John, third John, first, second Peter, James, and then Hebrews. If you're going the other way, Hebrews is right after second, first, second Timothy, and then Titus, and then Hebrews. And I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 6, please. I want you to see the promises of God. Listen, listen to the writer of Hebrews. Verse 17. In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed by an oath or with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope, the hope that is set before us. Verse 19, key. This hope we have. This is not uncertainty. This is a, this is a hope that is certain. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope, note, both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil into the very access, the very presence of God, where Jesus, verse 20, has entered as a forerunner for us. Our hope is stable. Our hope is trustworthy. Our hope is sure. And because we have this hope, which is a certainty, we then have joy. We then can rejoice. You see, hope and joy are interrelated. It is truly impossible to have... Impossible, I'm not sure about that. But it is beyond difficult, I guess I should say, to have one without the other. Because of our sure hope in Christ, you and I can experience a joy that comes from within regardless of our circumstances. That led Paul to write about true and pure joy. I want you to, to read it with me. Please, let's read. Let's, let me uh, fix this. I got hot and heavy. Sorry. I want you to read with me in Philippians chapter 4, which might be one of my favorite places in all of Scripture. Would you please turn with me now to Hebrews. You'll go to the left. And you won't go very far. Hebrews... You'll come to Titus and 2nd and 1st Timothy, Thessalonians, Colossians, and then Philippians. And look at Philippians chapter 4. I want to read you some of the greatest moments or words about true joy you'll ever read. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13, these words. Listen to them. Rejoice. In other words, that means find your joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Paul says. I say rejoice. Paul is saying twice, rejoice or find your joy. He says, verse 5, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And here's why you and I can find our joy. The Lord is near. He is our joy. He is our rock. He is everything to us. Then Paul says, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, he goes from nothing to everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication means being specific about what you're praying about. Let the Lord know exactly what it is you want. He knows anyways. So by, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, you can 
I can, we can have access to God so that He would hear our prayers. So we should be thankful for that. Being anxious for nothing and in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And, verse 7, the peace of God, you might want to mark that, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have trouble sleeping at night, some of us? Too many troubles, too many problems? Well, go to the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. But with everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Well, I believe and I've been taught that truth, honor, being righteous, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, anything worthy of praise, that's talking of Jesus. Let your mind dwell on the wonders of Jesus Christ. And watch what happens Look what happens in verse 9. Do you remember in verse 7? Look up at verse 7. It says the peace of God. I'm going to tell you three words that are identical but change the whole emphasis of having peace with God. Watch. Watch verse 9. The things that you have learned, the things that you have received, the things that you have heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, what you learn within the study of the Word of God, when we leave here, just don't leave it here. Take it home with you. Practice the things that God is teaching you through the Word of God. Practice it. Make it a way of your life. And the God of peace will be with you. I want you to notice the difference between verse 7 and verse 9. In verse 7, Paul says, you will have the peace of God. That's wonderful. But verse 9 is so much more. Verse 9 says, you don't have the peace of God, you have the God of peace. That's all the difference in the world, believer. That is all the difference in the world. It's one thing to have the peace of God, it's another thing to have the God who gives you the very peace. He says, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. He says, I rejoice. I found my joy, he said, in the Lord greatly, that now at last you re revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He says, I don't speak from want because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Look at verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. I've been rich and I've been poor, he says, and I've learned how to get along in both ways. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. And what is his secret? Verse 13. Get a hold of it. Hold on to it. Grasp it. I can do. The word do is better translated to me, handle. I can handle all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the key. The joy that you have is that you have the very secret and you have access to the very one who can give you the joy. You see, both joy and hope come because of Jesus Christ, the baby that we celebrate in the manger, born some 2,000 years ago. 
Our hope and our joy are interrelated with that event. Our hope and our joy are found in the glory of God who securely holds us in his loving hands. Now I want to give you the most precious gift you'll ever receive. Turn with me to John chapter 10, please, and we'll close. You can hold your place in in Romans chapter 5. We'll be there next time we gather together. Well, not really. Tomorrow we're going to not be in in Romans. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 10. And I want you to think about this baby that was born in a manger. The one whom the angel proclaimed that he is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. His name is to be Jesus, the one who will forgive his people from their sins. Jesus was telling some religious, um, self-righteous people during his day when he was walking the earth in John chapter 10. Let's look at verse 27. Well, verse 26, he tells them, You don't believe because you're not my sheep. Then he says in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. He then says, and I give life to them, and they shall never perish. You might want to underline that. Even if it's someone else's Bible, you might want to underline that. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. You talk about secure. You talk about the very essence of who God really is. You'll never perish. No one will be able to snatch you out of our Lord's hands. But to double up on that, he says in verse 29, And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. In other words, you and I are doubly held. We're held by Jesus, and we're held by the Father. And we will never perish, and no one will be able to snatch us out of their hands. And then Jesus made this proclamation in verse 30. I and the Father are one. Have you ever wondered what he meant by that? Well, the Jews in the day, when they heard that, knew exactly what he meant. Let's read on. It says in verse 31 that the Jews, that means the religious, self-righteous Jews of that day, they picked up stones again to stone him. In other words, to kill him. And Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. Verse 32. He asked them a question. I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Why do you want to kill me? What did I do to make you want to kill me? Listen to what they say. In verse 33, the Jews answered Jesus, and they said these words, For a good work we don't stone you. For what you've done, we're not going to stone you. You walked on water, you healed everybody. That's not the reason we're going to stone you. We're going to stone you, For blasphemy. In other words, your words. For what you just said. Because, verse 33, the end of it, you, being a man, has just made yourself out to be what? Who? God. They knew exactly what he was saying. Folks, everyone knew. They knew then, and everyone knows today exactly who Jesus says he is. Somebody say, you, you, you can't say that. Well, yes, we can because we just studied in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that no one is, without, no one with, is with excuse. He has made himself evident to everybody that ever walked the face of this earth. 
They have seen and know who he is. It, nobody, nobody misunderstands who Jesus Christ is. The people who deny him today, they know who he said he was. It was the, self, the secular, self-righteous, religious people who chose not to believe or understand, and they chose to ignore him. And today, there are people who do the same. The baby who lays in the manger, the one whom we celebrate every Christmas. But to the statement that Jesus made some 2,000 years ago, that I and the Father are one, I say to you by the authority of the Word of God, yes, that is truth. They are one. Both Jesus Christ and the Father are God Almighty. And so what I want to leave with you this Christmas morning, or this Christmas couple of days before Christmas, what I want to live, give to you and leave with you is I want to ask you to come to trust and believe in Him. If you're here visiting with us, you're with a loved one this morning, you've come to just come to church. I'm begging of you. Don't push Jesus Christ out of your life. You know better. You know better. Ask Him for the forgiveness of your sin. And for those of us who believe and trust in Him, I, I beg of you and me, let's live out His promises. Let's receive His true joy, His true hope, His true peace with God, this, this access that we have to come into His presence whenever we want, for whatever we want, and to hear the will of God, accepting what He asks of us to do. I beg of you to place your faith and trust in the baby called Jesus. The one whom John the Baptist, when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ walking down towards him, he exclaimed to all the, all the people that came to him to be baptized. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, He who... Oh, why do I always forget it? What is it? He who takes away the sin of of this world. I just lied to you. I didn't forget it. I wanted to hear if you knew it. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, He who takes away the sin of this world. I want you to know and love Him. That's my Christmas gift to you. That's really not mine. That was, that was really too bold of me to say. That's Paul's gift to you and me this morning. To fall in love with the one that is called in the book of Matthew that we read a little earlier, Emmanuel. God's with us. The one whom the angel said to Joseph, call him Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sin. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How do you say Merry Christmas when you sign? Merry Christmas? Is that close? Mary? Mary? Like that. I know that. First time I did it, I did this way, and they laughed at me, and it says it means I love me. <laughs> I love you. Listen, if I don't tell you often enough, I need to. I love you people more than you'll ever know. I love you more than life itself. And I thank you for the privilege of of being a part of this church with you and to be able to celebrate this time of the year, Christmas. 
What a joy. Listen, go home and tell someone you love that you haven't told them that you love them in a while. Tell them you love them. Just let them know how much they mean to you. If you need to call someone that you haven't spoken to for a while and tell them that you love them, do it. I told one of my buddies in college I love him so much that he put on his phone. When he doesn't answer his phone, it says, Hi, I'm here, and by the way, I've already told you I love you lately. And he did that because of me. I love you folks more than life itself. I thank you for the privilege of being here. Have a wonderful and Merry Christmas. Enjoy your family and your loved ones. Father, thank you for this, this time of this, the year that we can celebrate the birth of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who was proclaimed to be God with us, Emmanuel, the one who was to be called Jesus because it was he who would take away the sin of this world. Bless, Father, all of us. May we understand the importance of that event and celebrate it rightly this coming Tuesday morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I see you all tomorrow at either 3 or 5. Have a great day. God bless you. Love you.